Keeping up with agriculture technology isn't easy, but there's one way to know what's coming to the farm, and we have it. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. There's a lot going on in the technology world. Whether you're talking about some new electronic doodad, a new crop biological, or a crop protection innovation, the list goes on and on. How is a farmer to keep track? Tom Beckman with Indiana Prairie Farmer works on a regular column called High Tech Farming, the aim of which is to keep you informed about what may be headed to your farm in the future. Tom gets the latest information through his office and monitors developments in agriculture with High Tech Farming, working as a kind of early warning system. We'll cover those items often in more depth in the future, but High Tech Farming is the place to start. We talked with Tom about high-tech farming. But you know what? As two editors who cover ag technology get talking, you know the conversation is going to diverge. We cover a wide range of things in this conversation, from crop biologicals to terminating cover crops in 2022. You got it. We talk about plenty this time out. Tom, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thank you, Willie. Great to be here again. Good to talk to you. You know, one of the things that we talk about now and then, and you and I, I don't work on it. You work on this all the time. And I think I just contribute is a uh, column you call, we call high tech, high tech farming. What do we call that? High tech farming, right? High tech farming. It's an interesting column because it's a, it's a neat place where we do new product briefs or new idea briefs that we might run across short items that we pull together to give the reader a quick read on what may be coming and kind of tease them for things we may be doing deeper coverage on. Right. Correct. Um, some of, a lot of it we get uh, we get bombarded with the releases and we try to sort down the ones that are most meaningful and you and I run a back and forth and decide if a lot of times and this is maybe the best place that more people will get at least get to know the idea that's coming because we try to try to focus this on cutting edge type stuff or sometimes a lot of technology type stuff at times that's a little bit out there but they probably ought to know about. So and we try occasionally I, it'll, uh, I'll pick up an idea at a field day or something that we put in there. So we try to keep it fresh and to stuff that maybe you don't want to know the whole nine yards now, but it's nice to know that, hey, I heard about it. Yeah, I heard that. And I know where I can find out more. Well, yeah. And sometimes it's just something was even a short brief. Something was just labeled for 2022 or something like that, where it it's. It's an item that doesn't deserve 500 words, but it deserves 100 words, you know, those right. kinds of things. So we want to alert the reader. But, but, and I've noticed this as my inbox has uh, filled up, we've been getting notice about a lot of new biologicals lately, haven't we? Yes, it's a, it's a definite trend. Um, I think I've been saying they're coming out of the woodwork. I think there's a couple reasons. One, I've uh, discovered that, a lot of startup companies, a lot of investor funding has been poured into this. The idea of sustainable agriculture, whatever that means to you, to some it means using biologicals or, and they're not all live bacteria or live organisms. Some of them are stimulants for the organisms and various mm-hmm. things. But, and then the second thing is some of the, the major standard companies we all know in the chemical business have started putting quite a bit of research into this area and a lot of them are starting to come out and plus there are just some additional traditional products there that you wonder 
I'll just be honest, a lot of times in the past, they've been called moon dust. Mm-hmm. Some of these definitely work. Some don't know if they work or not. Um, but the bottom line is, I think we're going to see more, not less. And so we kind of need people trying to make people aware of the ones we think have at least they ought to know about and they can make up their own mind. Yeah, I know. I just did a story. It'll be running, I think, next week um, on the concept of like beneficial nematodes. So when we talk biologicals, everything's on the table. Right. And it's just interesting how those are being those kinds of tools are being put to use. So sometimes I might do a feature because it's a longer story to dig into what that might be. But these high tech farming announcements are like, well, this company's doing this and that doing that. But one of the challenges, like you said, and and every biological company I talk to. The first question I ask is, what have you got to show me and how do I know this isn't snake oil? Because, you know, we. We, we saw a lot of that in the old days. Those companies are gone. Those products are gone. But there was stuff out there for a while. It was like, what the heck is going on here? So how do I cut through the chaff on biologicals? What, do you, what are you learning about that? Well, first off, Willie, we might have to agree to disagree just a little bit. Some of those <laughs> aren't gone. Somehow there's still some out there. <laughs> and uh, seriously, and it's so it's it, that's making it, it makes it tougher. But because the problem is there are there are some legitimate ones out there now, some legitimate products. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, part of the idea of sorting through it where to go. So I went to Jim Comberato, a, a soil fertility extension specialist at Purdue. He's done a lot of research with Bob Nielsen, and now we'll do some with Dan Quinn at Purdue, mm-hmm. corn specialists. A lot of on-farm field tests is where they've really put in their time. Yep. And they did an interesting test of just the last, uh, four to five years where they picked out there was a hundred uh, products in this biological additive class registered by the office of indiana state chemist they picked out five or six on their own t- basically their own time it wasn't funded by a company and uh, tested them for three years saw some slight increases here some no no difference there and a few cases of even less yield which isn't surprising part of the problem according to jim is these differences that we're talking about you pick up with most of these are so small that it's hard to pick up even with a test that's put together well Hmm. well yeah i mean it gets back to the fact that there are variables in biology right chemistry is a chemistry tends to be a sure thing well until resistance shows up but that's a different story um but chemistry tends to be, and that's why we went to synthetic chemistry, because it was reliable. We used to use right. biological stuff in the ancient days, right? You know, right. moving worms and stuff like that. But now we've got these biologicals. So how am I supposed to know what to buy? What did Camerato say about that? Well, that's uh, that's exactly the question. Article is going to run uh, on Monday the 20th on our websites. Okay. Uh, might look hope people look for it, but, but in a nutshell, I guess to the bottom line, say you you could have easily what I propose in the story, you could have 10, 15 of these or more brochures laying around your your office of coming to mail or you picked up. And if there's one you really want to look at, and so there are some that are claiming they can reduce and, and seem to be legit on the they're from legit pe- companies or people that have a lot of backing. And that can reduce, supposedly could cut your nitrogen rate somewhat. 
Like mm-hmm. usually it's 20 to 40 pounds and they don't like to be pinned down, but uh, with the times we're in, that's pretty appealing, but he's his, his gut or biggest recommendation, not just gut is test them, test mm-hmm. them on your farm. Ideally a replicated test, they'll help you set it up. Or you, some of you can set up on your own. If you've had any much training at all, they're easier to do today. Pretty easy with GPS and yep. uh, stuff. At, at the very least, he says, do paired test where basically, and they've even done a little of this where they, if you just run a strip with, strip without, but not just once in the field. He's talking two dozen paired tests yep. across a few fields or whatever at the minimum to give you, because you need replication of place and time because a lot of these are subject to the environment. Yeah. But just to go out, and he can't tell you which one to go try. Look for one that maybe fits your what's something that you're, you might think needs and uh, give it a shot and see what it does for you. That's about the best he can come up with. I think that's not a bad thing. And like you say, it's it's actually easier to do, you know, capturing that data and putting that data to work is easier today with GPS and my, you know, my field Absolutely. view or my uh, John Deere operations center. I know where I put it. I can figure out where it is and then go back later and look at those maps and see if I got a real difference. And yeah, going all in is probably not the best move. Some of this stuff needs special handling. You need to be aware of that. And and those types of things do matter as well. It's just interesting from the standpoint of just how much attention this is getting. But when you look back at all the companies, every major crop protection company's bought a biological firm or right. has instituted a relationship, partly because the stuff gets cleared easier in EPA, partly because there's a driving force in sustainable ag, which means less synthetic chemistry, straight up. That's what that means. It doesn't mean organic, just means trying to do different things in the environment. So I don't see any reason not to look at it. And I think that the more that are out there, I think some of this uh, pressure makes diamonds. Some of this stuff will push some other things out that don't work. That's what, uh, that's what, you know, I think we've got to hope will happen. And I think the best, because the problem that I, I mentioned, or I kind of lead the story with, mm-hmm. you know, typically about, and I, I found several of these new products and they're in our new product category. We're going to put them out there. We're not saying they work. We're saying here it is just like any new piece of equipment. Maybe it turns out to be not, you know, not right for your operation. You decide. We're just telling you what's there. But a lot of them, I, I was careful to get costs, and, and Jim agrees, a lot of them are in the 5 to $10 an acre category. Mm-hmm. Well, it don't sound like a lot. It don't take much response. But Jim says at that price range for break-even at today's crop prices, there is no way even for a, a well-set-up uh, experiment by a researcher to detect that kind of yield increase. We're talking, you're talking, a you know, a bushel or two bushels of corn and a bushel or less of soybeans, and you can't detect that in a test because there's too much noise in the environment. So yeah, you got to hope there's a little more response or you just, you know, or at least see if it's doing anything on your farm or not. Try to get an idea or get some neighbors to work with you, maybe through the extension agent or independent agronomist or some other, maybe not even neighbors, but other farmers over three, four county area. Everybody do the same strip test. Yep. Do it as a, do it right, not just one strip. And uh, he he says there's, he, that that holds some value. If you start to see a trend, then you might be onto something. Right. And I think that um, just to look at this category, there are some new things out there worth looking at. 
just right. to just to say it. I mean, there's a couple I would be looking at, but I don't know. You know, you just got to look at them. Yep, and I think that that's important because this is a new way to farm, and it and it, it can change your operation in certain ways. But they may need attention to detail. And guess what? Um, we've gotten rid of the easy button on a lot of things in the last five years. So understanding that everything you do is going to require more attention to detail, maybe a maybe the lesson we really need to take away. You know, you mentioned all the new products. You've been through all the 300 new products or however many number we found at all the shows. Is there one or two things that really stood out as unique or interesting to you this year? Well, I think it depends on, uh, you know, where you're, um, if you're into livestock, I'll be honest, the Lancota corn cracker just kind of grabbed me because it was so simple. I think I saw it in Nebraska. It was a, my, one of my favorites of that show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a simple adjust product, stuff like that. that on the other side, there's some, uh, I think, um, there's some products that are in the tillage, or no-till area, guys going green and the companies are really refining like prescription tillage to have their blades out. And they're even, you think a blade's a blade, but they're fine tuning that thing to better bearings, but also different design on the tip for different conditions, whether you're going into uh, planting green or if you're going into just residue. So that was one that kind of caught my eye that may not seem like a big deal, but uh, they're just blades, but they're getting it down to where they can tailor a blade exactly what, what you want. And, so off the top of my head, Willie, those kind of come to mind. And those are interesting too. And you talk about the tillage. I mean, you can and actually you can change the angle of those gangs from the cab of the tractor on some of these new machines. Right. On some things you can. Yeah, yeah. On some, and that's kind of cool too. So it's like, well, it's a little worse out here than I thought. I'll just crank up the angle just a little more and get the coverage that I want if I'm doing tillage. Absolutely. Here's something interesting, and I guess you talked about maybe the lesson is we got to be willing to uh, we got to maybe manage a little more there's no easy button they're making this technology available i think it's great for these tillage tools but one farmer tried one out this fall him and his son and uh it had everything it recorded all on screen he thought it was too much he he couldn't handle all that now he did admit it'd be nice to have a tool where he could change stuff from the cab but he wasn't ready to have it change from one area of the field to the other so You can get the tool that will do that if you're ready for that. I think that's pretty neat technology, but it's been out a couple of years. I'd seen it before this year. Well, you know, that that goes back to my argument that you need to use appropriate technology appropriately applied. You know, it's uh, if you're not ready to run that new machine, don't buy that new machine. Exactly. That's that's simple because it's it's you're just asking for a headache. The other side of it is the technology. If you can find one and buy one, that's always a challenge lately. Um, there are benefits to some of these technologies, whether it's um, on the sensor tools or the measurement or just the efficiency these machines bring. So it'll be interesting to see what's happened. Anything else you're hearing about in your neck of the woods? Uh, just I think people are a little just apprehensive on what uh, prices, you know, prices are going to do and how it's going to shake out what they should be planting for next year. What how price what prices are going to do on the one hand versus costs on the other are just skyrocketing and what to do with nitrogen where they can get it and that's why uh Camberon, jim Camberano brought up and uh you know if anyone in the audience might remember a name dave mingle was at purdue in the late 80s mm-hmm. with the kansas state did a lot of things in the agronomy department there but 
I had the same conversation on Moonshine Moondust products, not Moonshine. Sorry, Willie. That's a uh, different conversation, Tom. Yeah, different conversation. <laughs> Thirty plus years ago in his office before he left Purdue. Yeah. And really it hasn't changed to the extent that you still have to go sort them out. Some of them are legit and some of them aren't. And I think guys are but they're really and I guess what I was going with that in times when you think and when prices are high on corn and beans like they are now, you wouldn't it wouldn't be a good time to sell this stuff. But because the the on the input side nitrogen is so high, some guys are desperate to they can't get nitrogen that they want. They're not sure how much they'll be able to get, or the price is so high they got sticker shock. So if you come in with a product for eight, ten bucks an acre, and you claim you can cut 40, 35, 40 pounds, you're going to listen. I hope yeah. you're not like a neighbor I had 35 years ago that somebody sold him a product and claimed the salesman claimed wasn't printed, but he claimed you could uh, just put this on no nitrogen. He did that on 50 acres, and you can you know what happened. Yeah, I do know what happened. I don't even need to see the field. <laughs> so I think that that's the snake oil guys we got to be aware of. And I'm not saying that a lot of this stuff is. I honestly believe is some legitimacy to it, or I wouldn't be mm-hmm. wouldn't have wouldn't be writing about it. But uh, it's for you to decide. I think Camberato has the right approach. Test it on your own. Interesting though, you brought up the nitrogen cost, and I was with some people last night at an event. Um, and we were talking in one of the comments, I was with a soybean agronomist from University of Minnesota. And we got into this discussion about nitrogen may drive the acres of soybeans. Right. Um, and that's a big deal. Well, I was also at Iowa State this week with uh, Greg Tilka, who's a well-known expert in soybean cyst nematode, works with Purdue, Minnesota, everybody across the Midwest in right. that coalition. I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard him talk before. Yeah. yeah. He's great. Well, right. Um, he put up a slide this week at the Iowa State University Integrated Crop Management School. And the slide was, if you're considering beans on beans, the question came up on the slide and he turned to the audience and he says, I have three words for you. Don't do it. Do it. <laughs> do it. Don't do it. Oh, don't do it. That's don't right. do it. Beans on beans. Don't do it. Because the soybean cyst nematode issue is becoming such a big deal in the U.S., in the in our area too. Your area, in the whole I-State area, it's a big deal in the the, We've talked they, about it, talked about it, but it's still out there, and guys just, they don't, uh, a lot of them just, uh, they try to go with the best varieties they can. The dealer tells them it's got resistance, whatever, they go with it. Well, one of the things think, we talked about was the, the fading of the resistance ability of PI88788, which is the main resistance gene right. in most of the soybeans you buy, and it is fading. Now, it still has efficacy in some areas, and you're right. right. There's biology in some soybeans that can tend to kind of grow past the infestation, but uh, he's pushing Peking, um, the uh, other pe- the variety, with that because it does break the cycle and it is resistant to so- SCN, but there aren't a lot of varieties that have it. So that's, that's a problem. challenge. Yeah. yeah. But the other thing is beans on beans, man, I don't know. I know you'd be driven to try it um, with uh, with nitrogen where it is so i get it and I, for those listening well, well, here, here's it's a tough the choice here's the problem and uh i the some of you out there i hope read our jackie hall and our marketing mm-hmm. editor through farm futures that her stuff's on our websites and i read her column uh just today this will be coming out soon and um same thing that purdue came up with jim minner and michael langemeyer at a recent uh, webinar 
is that the corn soybean price ratio heavily favors corn right now. Still does, yeah. And even with the even at Langemeyer Minert say even at the nitrogen price, you need to strongly still consider corn and not write it off. And the other problem is if you if too many people switch to beans, then there's pressure on the bean price. Plus, we talked to the weed specialists, the herbicides that may be most uh, hard to, hardest to get. Yes. For next year, our soybean herbicides. Our soybean herbicides. It's a no-win scenario. It's, I'm just. It's a tricky one. It's it's crazy enough that and we're, this is a nice conversation. We drifted a little bit, but one of the other things I heard this week was I was in a cover crop conversation with somebody, and he raised an interesting question about terminating cereal rye and soybeans. If you've got early soybean planting, glyphosate doesn't like cold weather. Right. So if you've got early soybeans, when do you terminate your cereal? Do you plant the beans in and wait till the glyphosate's going to work? Because this guy's comment was, and it's something I think everybody listening may want to think about if you're using cover crops, you you are only going to have so much glyphosate next spring. You want to make sure when you put it down, it does the job, right? right? I mean, and if you're putting it down in 45, 50 degree weather instead of 60 degree weather, you're going to get a different action. Right, because glyphosate's temperature sensitive from the standpoint of translocation and killing the ryegrass. So I just think that's an interesting conversation to have with your agronomist if you're going to well, plant early only, soybeans. Well, let me add to that, Willie. Not only your agronomist, but find a farmer that's been doing it. That'd be my advice. Yep, Maybe yep. a county or two away you don't compete with that'll talk to you. And because the guys that are doing it haven't figured it out when you when I pin them down when I'm trying to write a story about it. 10 to 2 in the afternoon, 10, 10 in the morning, 2 in the afternoons when they spray, there's a reason for that. And especially when the stuff is so valuable, uh, hard to get, and you got to have good results. But there, there, there's a subculture to, to weed control after cover crops and controlling the cover, burn down the cover crop. And I just think if I was going to do it, I'd be finding somebody that's doing it to walk me through it if I hadn't done it before. Absolutely. And it's something to look at. But I think that also kind of raised the red flag to me that with the lack of chemicals of the, of the supply issues, you really need to think about your plan. Right. What And what your alternatives are and get with your agronomist or your even your trusted seeded salesman or your trusted chemical salesman and say, what are we going to have and what can we really do? And right. do it right. So it's going to be a tough year. And so on that note, thank you for the conversation, sir. We'll all be reading High Tech Farming. It comes out monthly online and it's available on a lot of our Farm Progress magazines. And keep up the good work. It's good to talk to you. Thank you, Willie. Keep keep feeding me the information. <laughs> I will. As always, talking with Tom Beckman is a lot of fun. He and I discuss technology issues regularly. And chances are we'll do it again here in the future. There's a lot going on in agriculture, and we see our job as helping you at least keep up so you are aware of innovations that could make a difference on your farm. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands, as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer, and feedstuffs, and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, and the New York Farm Show. Before we go, I want to alert you to two special events to consider for your calendar in January 2022. The Farm Futures Ag Finance Boot Camp and the Farm Futures Summit. Boot Camp runs all day January 19 and the Summit runs January 20 and 21. We're in Iowa City, 
Actually, in the same hotel facility we've been in before, it just changed its name to the Hyatt Regency Coralville Hotel and Conference Center. You can learn more about the program, what's on hand, and the initial agenda with speakers and more at farmfuturesummit.com. Visit the site and consider registering to be on hand in January. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.